Hello, my name is Hindel Grossman. I'm a divorce attorney in Newton, Massachusetts, and welcome to Inside Divorce, a podcast series published on the 15th of each month. Each guest is an expert in the field of divorce and has fascinating information to share. I hope you'll listen. Hello, and welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman. Today I'm speaking with Sarah Armstrong, who wrote a book called Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Hindal. Great to be with you. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about your book and how it's organized and what message you want divorcing women, mothers, that is, to learn from your book. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to sharing. Should I share a little bit about myself just to give the audience yeah, a little bit to. of background? Because I think it's important to start with uh, just the fact that I actually never expected to write a book. You know, I actually studied marketing and played volleyball and scholarship at Georgetown. And for over 25 years, I've actually been in global marketing, you know, in leadership roles at the Coca-Cola company at McKinsey, which is a consulting firm. And then recently joined Google to run their global marketing operations. It's, you know, one of those things where writing a book was not necessarily in, in my plan. And over the years, I've actually really enjoyed managing the juggling act of being a working mom while raising my daughter, Grace. It's also important to highlight the fact that I went through divorce was a very big deal for me and my family. I have an amazing parents who've been married for 53 years, and they're an example of a true partnership. So really, the concept of going through divorce wasn't something I was ever you know, thinking would, would happen in, in my life. So yeah. I, I like to start with, you know, so just for the record, I'm not an advocate for divorce. Mm-hmm. I actually think in an ideal world, couples that get married happily stay married for the long term. And unfortunately, this isn't always the case. And these days, it's more common than ever. It's reality. It is reality. And it's reality. And I, I generally say that no one gets married to get divorced. For sure. You hope it's not you. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, no one gets divorced for positive reasons. Generally, there's something that's driven the couple to, to make that tough decision. But the challenge is that children don't get to make the decision of whether their parents divorce, but their lives are significantly impacted by this decision. For sure. And no control over it. None. Absolutely. And feeling very guilty about it. Yes. It's a really tough Yeah. Thing. So tell us how your book is organized. Well, it's actually meant to be a very practical guide for moms that are going through divorce. When I went through divorce myself, um, you know, I was actually given books and handed books and I'd open them. They were thick and dense and had a lot in them and I would close them up. So when I decided to go on this journey of writing this book, I decided to break it into three phases. So I call it preparing for the change, during the change, and post the change. And it actually encompasses 185 topics that are written in bite-sized pieces. So only basically a, a topic per page. And so it could be a paragraph, it could be a page, but it's meant to be very much something a mom could open and read one or two pages and then set it aside. And it's also not meant to be read cover to cover per se, depending on where you are in your journey of your divorce. And so it's really meant to be that guy that you pick up, you know, when you need it and to reflect in the points that are in there. In fact, you can just look at a topic that's at the end of the book and not not read in sequence. Absolutely. Absolutely. The table of contents outlines every topic and you can flip around and, and go to what you need. And I actually, when I wrote the book, I had a funny conversation with the editor because they told me I was wasting paper <laughs> because I was providing white space on pieces of, on, on certain pages. I said that white space is for people to stop and reflect and think and not feel like you have to jump into the next topic. Oh, good. So what drove you to write the book? 
Well, you know, over the years since my divorce, and I, I was divorced seven, uh, 12 years ago, so several years ago, but in the years following my divorce, I actually had a number of girlfriends who also were contemplating going through a divorce, and they would come to me and ask me if I would provide them guidance on the approach I had taken. And I always say that, uh, you know, the girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce became a poster child for a good divorce. And after helping my friends through this challenging time of life, they would actually encourage me to write down my guidance. And I have to be honest, I never intended to do that. That was not a goal. And so I was at a business dinner in Mexico City, and I had a a colleague of mine, a good friend of mine, lean over to me at dinner, and he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, yeah, I'm actually really happy. And he said, but you're divorced. (laughs) And I stopped and I said, Selman, getting a divorce is not a death sentence. My ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. But yes, I'm happy. Grace, my daughter's happy. My ex-husband's happy. We're all happy. It is possible to be happy after divorce. And he said, well, you know, I'm just surprised. And so I told him that a number of my friends had been encouraging me to write a book. And he said, well, you should really do that. So the next morning, as I was flying out of Mexico City, I opened my laptop and I started writing. Started dumping. I started dumping. Mm-hmm. And the, But the first line I wrote was, this book is written by a girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce, who got a divorce and what she learned along the way. And uh, that's the, the opening line. And so it was definitely a journey to write it. But, you know, I just don't think, and the reason I feel so passionate about this, there's not enough conversation about the topic of, of how to have a good divorce. You know, there's a lot of talk of just divorce. And ultimately, I want to help shift society's perception that a good divorce is actually attainable, that it really is something that you can you can have. And it's interesting, the definition of a good divorce was actually defined by my daughter for me. What's that? We were at a CVS uh, checking out uh, when a year after our divorce. So she was seven when we got divorced. She was eight years old. And we're standing there and there's a People magazine on the checkout stand. And there was a celebrity couple on the cover and it was talking about their divorce. And Grace says to me, mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? <laughs> and I stopped and I said, Grace, I don't know what's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce. And she said, well, good divorce is when a mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy. And a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. You know, kids can put it so simply. Honestly. And so we walked out of the CVS that day, Hindal, and I thought, you know, whatever we're doing, the fact that Grace, a year into our divorce, could call it a good divorce and refer to it that way, told me that uh, the approach my ex-husband and I were taking was, that, was on the right path. Certainly seems that way. Yeah. Excellent. So you focus your book on mother's guide to a good divorce. So I presume you're talking about how the divorcing parents handle being parents while divorcing. Yes. And I do, I have focused on it from the mom's angle, but in fairness, I've had a a number of dads tell me that it's been helpful to them as well. Um, And so I do think it it can be helpful from, from either angle, but I did have it with the mom's mindset in mind. And yes, it's really meant to help moms think about the discussions they need to have, the decisions they need to make about their children with their ex-spouse and, you know, really thinking about them. And it's a lot of, as I say, the logistics of life. There's a lot of details when you're, when you're co-parenting from two households. And so really thinking about what the impact of having your children live in two households and what life looks like is an important part of what I try to articulate in terms of these topics that moms need to think about. So what are those? Well, I mean, they, there's, <laughs> there are so many. So, um, you know, I'll start with one that really hit home for me when we went through a divorce. There was a point where we took 
my daughter to a child specialist that was going to talk to her about the concept of her parents getting divorced. And he met us first and he looked at me and he said, Sarah, do you travel? And I said, yes, I actually travel internationally for my job. And he said to my ex-husband, do you travel? And he says, yes, I travel domestically. He said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel for the next 11 years every week and be packing a bag. And I burst into tears. I burst into tears because I thought, you know, that's not what I wanted for her. That wasn't the life I wanted for her. So we walked out of that session and my ex-husband and I started talking about what we could do to minimize the impact of her feeling like a professional traveler. And so one of those details was, and again, some of this has socioeconomic considerations, I realized, but we tried to minimize her having to feel like she had to pack a bag every week. So having the basics, the essentials of both homes, you know, yeah. the socks and the underwear and the another pair of running shoes or whatever the case, so that she could walk out and go to school with her school bag. And then if she was going to dad's house afterwards, she wouldn't have to worry, oh, what do I need to bring to dad's? Now, you can't do that for everything. There's going to be those things like the special dress or the special dress-up shoes. Or the violin. Or the violin, exactly. (laughs) Or she played golf, so the golf bag. You're only going to have one golf bag. But I think the thing that we found is if with our forethought and a little bit of extra planning, we minimize those moments of her feeling stressed about where things were. It was it was up to us to to take on that stress for her. It wasn't hers. But, you know, there would be the morning where she'd come down and say, Mom, it's dress-up day at school and my dress-up shoes are at Dad's house. And I'd have to stop and instead of getting frustrated, take a deep breath and say, then let's go get your dress up shoes at dad's house. Now, my ex-husband, in fairness, lived just 10 minutes away and we had the ability to do that. But, you know, again, it wasn't her fault that her dress up no. shoes are at dad's house. And I never wanted her to feel like that was hers to take on as a child. It was her dad and my responsibility to figure out that things should be where they need to be. Yeah. And obviously that tame with two cooperating parents. It does. And in fairness, I, I know that that's not always the case. And I've had many people ask me, can you still have a good divorce when you have a parent that might not be as cooperative? And I believe that there are things you can do to put things in the best possible situation, You know, knowing that you might not have a willing participant on the other side, to at least have your kids see that you're trying to do all you can to make life the best it can be. So to prevent kids from being professional travelers, what do you recommend? Well, I think, you know, the the, the point I made earlier in terms of uh, trying to minimize them, um, feeling like they're packing a bag is a, a key part of that. The other thing is really establishing, you know, the two home bases and, and, and feeling like they can have those two homes. And then determining, is there one where, for example, in our instance, you know, Grace came home from school to my home every day. And then the day she went to her dad's in the evening, she would go there, you know, kind of uh, once she'd done her homework and, you know, towards dinner time. So it allowed her to have some consistency in the schedule. But there's lots of different ways to do that. And, and couples just need to see what works for them from a scheduling standpoint. But I do think the, the kind of really being clear on the schedule, setting a schedule that the kids understand and, and can depend on as part of their routine. Kids really get used to routine and it becomes their new normal. But they do need some semblance of understanding where they're going to be each day. And then I think the other thing is just from an overall communication standpoint with your ex-spouse, making sure that you um, are really clearly communicating and not through the children what needs to happen on a day-to-day basis. Again, it's not their, they didn't, they didn't decide to be in the situation so that they shouldn't be the conduit for all those messages that you need to deliver to each other, whether it's about the logistics or whether it's about some type of school payment or whatever the case may be. I understand. So what are you talking about when your book, you're talking about 
minimizing the gaps? Oh, yes. Well, you know, in the physical environment, and I think when, especially as you're starting through the process of going through divorce, and you're deciding who's going to live where and what that home environment will look like for the children as you're going through that change. In our case, uh, we stayed, Grace and I stayed um, in my the home that we'd been living in, and then my ex-husband yeah. moved to a different home. So because of that, we were splitting up, you know, furniture and artwork and photos and all these things. And so my goal with that was that if something left the house or was going to leave the house, that there was something to put in its place immediately. So if a painting came off the mirror, it may not be another painting, but maybe I'd put a mirror up. You know, if a chair left, it wasn't that dad's chair just, you know, went away and there's this big gap in the living room, there was something else to go in its place. And the the situation that really hit home for me is we had a family wall of photos of uh, black and white photos of both my ex-husband and my family that from over the years, going back actually a couple generations, I decided I was going to obviously take the photos down that were of my ex-husband and give them to him. And so I went through the effort actually of, of having other photos framed. And so Grace, again, was seven when we went through this. So I sent her down the street to a play date with a friend and it was on a Sunday afternoon. And then I swapped out the wall and I took down the photos of my ex-husband's family and I put up new photos of Grace and myself and my family. And a couple hours later, she came home and I'm in the kitchen and she comes in the house and I hear this little voice in the hallway go, hey, mom. And I go, what's that, Grace? And she said, the wall has changed. (laughs) And I stopped and I literally stopped in my tracks. I said, well, what's changed? She said, well there, well, there are more pictures up of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up to her room. You made her happy instead of sad. Yeah. And so, and honestly, if I had not taken the time to reframe some photos and put them up on those little hooks, and I just taken the photos of her dad's family off the wall and let those little hooks stay, years yeah. later, I could predict that Grace would be talking to either a therapist or telling a friend a story and say, <laughs> when my parents got divorced... My mom took all the photos of my dad's family and she left those little hooks hanging on the wall. Yeah. Dad disappeared from the wall. Right. Dad disappeared. And so it was just a really telling moment for me of how important those little actions you can do as a mom, as you're thinking through these things and trying to stay a little bit of step ahead, which is hard because there's so much coming at you. And on the flip side of that, in Grace's room, I actually left the photos of her dad and his family that are on the wall still hanging because that's her family. And so it wasn't for me to say, well, that's now my ex-husband, Grace can't have a picture of her dad in her room. And so it's, you know, it's managing and, and thinking about the impact that those things have on your children. Yeah. And they yeah. do really, they, they register. And I, I thought that wall, by the way, I thought it was wallpaper for her. I didn't even think she noticed it. The fact that she noticed it immediately walking in the house told me, wow, that, you know, they notice everything. Well, I'm impressed how sensitive you are to those small things that that make a difference for children. They really make a difference, and I, you know, I, you know, it's it's hard to say that it wasn't easy. By the way, this takes effort. It takes a lot of kind of planning, and you know, when you're going through all this, you're like, oh, is this one more thing I need to take on? But I kept on just thinking how Grace was viewing all this. Um, because I knew I was emotionally, you know, going to have to go through my own emotions, and my ex-husband was too. But I thought, how do we? make this where she is not scarred by this for the rest of her life. I mean, as parents, and I always say, you know, when you think about what a good divorce should look like, it's really setting aside your personal feelings and what you want to do, you know, and how you feel about this other person and really focus on what's best for your children. And when couples go through divorce and children are involved, the stakes are high. You know, we owe it to our children to ensure that they're not collateral damage due to the divorce. 
you know, Absolutely. and even though we've decided to no longer be married to one another, you know, we brought these children into the world. We kind of can make that commitment as parents to raise them in the healthiest environment possible. And I joke that, you know, we cover the plugs, we put bike helmets on them, we feed them organic milk. We do all these things to, you know, make sure they're healthy and happy and yeah. safe. But then the toxicity that can come with the divorce and the long-term impact it can have on the children's approach to relationships, their view on marriage, you know, their overall happiness in life. I just think, you know, the responsibility of co-parenting needs to be taken very seriously and with the intent of, you know, really doing what's best for your child. Yeah. You can really undo the organic milk. <laughs> you can undo a lot. Order. You can do undo a lot. And it's, yeah. and it's, you know, and the hard part is it's not that those moments are irreversible, but they do stick with children. And these moments, I think divorce, you know, what you go through during divorce sticks with you in one way or another, and it can either stick with you in the negativity that comes to it, or it can stick with you saying, you know what, my parents, I know they didn't want to be married to each other anymore, but they tried really hard, you know, really hard to do what's best for me and my siblings or whatever the case is. You know, I have a, a friend and one of the contributors to my book that shared with me that the best gift her parents ever gave her after going through the divorce is they never, she, they never made her pick sides. And even late in her life, you know, she and I are reflecting back on what happened when she was a young girl. You know, those are the reflections that I think you want to have as an adult child of divorce, you know, that your parents really did do what's best for you. And, and hopefully um, you can reflect on it that way down the road. Wonderful. Well, if only parents in divorce were as civil as you are. So I'm wondering what you're thinking about when there are two parents where one is cooperative, one keeps their children in, in front of their mind and wants to do the best for them. And the other one seems to be undermining that, Lynn. Yeah. Well, I think in those instances, you know, there's only so much you can control in any situation, you know, as a couple or as individuals. And so in those instances, I think as a mom, you have to step back and say, what are those things that I can influence and can keep on a certain path or a certain approach? And then there's times when you're not going to be able to control that situation. And I talk about developing a compartmentalization muscle in my book. I joke that, you know, I do Pilates and the talk about having a strong core muscle, but I said, you know, one of the things just mentally, I think we need to build is a strong compartmentalization muscle. And what that is, is being able to say, you know, at times when you're at high emotion with your ex-spouse deciding, okay, are you going to allow the emotion to come out? And that's fine. If it does, then you're going to have to try to not have your children see all of that and see how you can protect them from that. And then there's times where you say, you know what, I shouldn't let that emotion come out right now. I need to compartmentalize it. I need to put it aside because I need to get through this moment, whether it's a child's birthday or a parent-teacher conference or whatever the case. And then I will deal with the emotion later. But yeah. it is really being conscious about when you're letting your emotions show in front of your children. And one of the moments that really, again, I have these poignant moments throughout our divorce that really stuck with me. And one was during a parent-teacher conference when, when Grace was in sixth grade. So we've been divorced five years. And we're sitting with her teacher. And in this instance, Grace and my ex-husband and I would go to the conference together. And the teacher, we went through the hour of the parent-teacher conference. And at the end, the teacher looks at us and she said, are you two divorced? Mm -hmm. And I stopped and I said, yes, actually, we got divorced when Grace was in first grade five years ago. She said, I had no idea. And I looked at her and I said, 
it didn't occur to me to tell you <laughs> because it's like, why, you know, we weren't going to start to say, by the way, we're divorced. So she said, well, it's amazing because you would be surprised at how few parents who are in a divorce situation can come into this office and sit next to each other, sit next to each other with their child and have a conversation about their child's education with us for an hour. She said, it is very, very rare. And it makes me very sad. And I said to her and my ex-husband and I are both nodding saying, that makes us sad too. And by the way, Grace is hearing this whole conversation. But yeah. I said, that makes us really sad too, because the most important thing for parents should be their children and how they're doing you know, in school and wanting to hear that together. And so the fact that that's not possible, and again, regardless of why you got divorced, and I know there's some horrible situations. So I, I'm, I'm saying I, I appreciate that there may be instances where you don't want to physically be in the same room with someone. That's fine. Then don't do that. But in those instances where you think you can, and for that hour for your children, it, it sends a major message to your child that you're both there for them. And it also shows, in fairness, the school and the teachers that you're both here for your child. But it was just one of those moments, again, where I reflected on how much work we have to do as a society and as couples that are going through this to say, you know what, let's put our children first. Yeah. And what a good impression you, you made on Grace that day. She's taken it all in over the years. And, you know, she's now old enough. She's 19 now. But even in middle school and heading into high school, she then had some friends, parents who were going through divorces. And she would reflect on me on, on how we had gone through ours. And, you know, she really wanted to help her friends because she knew some of them weren't having similar situations. And she said, Mom, it just doesn't have to be this hard and this sad. And I said, you know what? It doesn't, Grace. But unfortunately, you know, that's, I said, that's why we wrote the book. That's why I wrote the book. And, you know, I actually gave her the book. She was 12 when I published it. And I said, I want you to read this. And I want you to tell me if there's anything in here you're not comfortable with me sharing about how we've approached this. And I left her alone. I went on a long walk and, and she sat and read it. And uh, I came back and she said, you know what, Mom, this is going to help a lot of families. I'm so happy you wrote this book. Well, you had her support. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, we talked about the impact of the home environment and not having gaps. And those are really important for parents to know when they're creating two households. The lose of the logistics of life. They are the logistics of life. And there are so many logistics. And so I think really thinking through and having some planning of what it takes for you to manage those logistics with your ex-spouse. And, you know, even I mentioned communication earlier, but, you know, I made a decision that I didn't need to text or email or call my ex-spouse every time something came up. I'd put a list on my phone. And then when there was enough to talk about, unless there was something urgent, I'd say, hey, can we touch base for 15 minutes? I've got some things to talk through. And then we'd go through the list or he'd cover some things he wanted to cover. And we'd kind of time box that so that it wasn't that we were having to interact every minute, every day on all the things that were coming up. Now, some yeah. things are timely and you need to you need to talk immediately. But I did try from a communication standpoint for us to both kind of respect each other's space and say, you know, we're no longer married to each other. We don't need to interact every day unless there's something that's come up and to really try to, to manage a communication in a way that worked for the two of us. Yeah. Well, to your credit and his too, even though I've never met or spoken to him, that you were both be, be able to be civil to one another and, and keep grace as number one. That was always a goal. And and I can say now we, we went off and she headed off to college this fall and we were both there to move her into her dorm room, which was fun. And actually that yeah. night, in fairness, we hadn't done that. We we went to dinner that night to the two of us. Grace was off with her new friends at college and we went yeah. to dinner and reflected on, you know, raising her together. A big milestone. Yes, for both Dude. of us. For both yeah. of us. Yeah. What else would you like to tell our listeners about the mom's guide to a good divorce? 
Well, I mean, I think if when reflecting on it, I, I want everyone to know that you're not alone in this. And when you are going through divorce, there's so much that you can do to kind of take it in the baby steps and the bite-sized pieces that you need to take it in. So don't feel like you have to make all the decisions and everything all at once. But what I would say is in using the mom's guide to a good divorce, it takes you through those decisions and those discussions. And as you go through them in those bite-sized pieces, you can manage it in a way where it's not overwhelming. And I actually had a woman stop me in the grocery store right after I wrote the book. And uh, she said, she goes, Sarah, uh, she goes, are you Sarah Armstrong, the author? And I had to stop because again, I never really considered myself that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I said, I was in the, I said, oh, actually I am. And she, she, met, she mentioned that she'd been at Barnes and Noble at my book signing when I launched my book. She said, I'm going through divorce and I, I want to let you know that I've been carrying your book with me and it's keeping me calm. What a great endorsement. She said, thank you for writing it. And I wow. said to her, thank you for sharing that with me. And she walked away and I stood there Hindal, just in the middle of the produce section of the grocery store. And I thought, <laughs> that's why I've written this book, to help a woman that I don't know that is trying to figure out how to really right. manage this whole process. And if it's keeping her calm, that really uh, went a long way. The other thing about the book that I'd love to share is that I it's available in paperback, on ebook, Kindle, Nook. I also did an audible version. Because, you know, again, there's instances where women aren't ready for anyone to know that they're thinking about this and they want to kind of reflect on what it might take to do that. And I had a, a young gal recently that reached out to me that told me um, she shared her Amazon account with her ex-husband or her current husband. And so she'd sent my book to a girlfriend's house and she goes to her girlfriend's house and sits in the driveway in her car and reads me. And reads the book. To retain her privacy. It both broke my heart, but I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm happy that my book can help you. And she said, thank you for writing this. I, she goes in the way they've written it. I can go in and read a couple of pages and then I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then she says, I come back another day. And so again, I, I appreciate that women are having to think about this in various ways and in various, you know, small pockets of time when they have the time to focus on it. And I want my book to be there to support those moments and, and help them reflect on the points that need to be thought about. I also like that you've organized it in time, you know, before, during, and after divorce. Yes. And yeah. and that's because, you know, again, wh whatever phase you're in, you're in that phase. Yeah. You know, and it, quite honestly, it's hard to think about the next phase. It is very hard to think about, you know, post-divorce when you're just going through the day-to-day -day of like figuring out all these decisions. So I wanted to basically write it depending on where you are that you could pick up and and go into that phase. And to your point, there might be things you want to jump ahead <laughs> and look and say, gosh, out of order. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. That There's nothing wrong with going out of order. But if you only want to stay in the moment where you are mentally and emotionally and what you're trying to process and thinking about those couple of key decisions that you're trying to think through right now, then it, the book is meant to be there for those moments. Fabulous. Well, it's nice for people to look ahead too and imagine what their life will be like once they're divorced give them hope. Yes. And that's, uh, that is something I'm hoping to do is to, yeah. to show that, you know, it is a new normal, you know, post-divorce and your first year post-divorce is, I call it the year firsts. You know, there are a lot of things that you go through for the first time. And I generally say you'll go through them and you'll either decide, you know what, I'll do that again, whether it's continuing a family tradition you had before or starting a new one. But there may be things like going through the holidays. I'll be really honest. I think holidays are really tough in a divorce situation when you're not with the kids. Like if you have a situation where you're alternating holidays. And my first Thanksgiving without Grace, I was not a happy camper. It was really hard. And so I decided moving forward that that wouldn't be the way that I would, 
I would handle my holidays and I, I changed the approach. So you have to give yourself the space and the grace to know that that first year is going to be a, a bit of a trial and error period in terms of things that work and things that you say, yeah, I'm not going to do it yeah. that way again. Grab hold of your life and change it. Absolutely. And then embrace that new normal. And then, you know, think about how you want to live, you know, this next phase of life and what you want it to look like for you and your children. Yeah. And set up some new traditions and some new yeah. ways of uh, different new traditions with, that Grace and I established that I think allowed us to feel like a family, but a different type of family unit than we were before. But I think there, those are things, again, that just take a little bit of putting thought into what you want that to look like and then talking to your children about it if they're an age that they can be part of that and uh, and then figure it out along, along the way. Yeah. Well, as a divorce attorney, my tagline is giving clients a new chance at happiness. So, you know, there is hope after divorce and happiness. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's the thing, you know, in society, divorce does not need to be a scarlet letter. You know, you know, it's a process you go through, you get divorced, you know, but it should not define your life and your children's lives in a negative light for the long term. But it, it does take effort. It takes patience. It, you know, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of different muscles, as I mentioned, in terms of, of what you're trying to exercise to, to get to a better place. But I truly believe that you can go through divorce and be happy on the other end. Your children can be happy. Your ex-spouse can hopefully be happy. And I hate that we're, it's such a rare thing. You know, when, when I talk about the concept of a good divorce and people think it's so rare, I have, I have, uh, individuals that'll, will be in the conversation on the topic. They'll say, you know, I know one other couple. <laughs> and I go, wow. What? It is rare. I know. And I said, one other couple. I said, isn't that amazing? I said, wouldn't it be great given that sadly, and you know, this 50% of marriages end in divorce. If, if that many couples are at some point no longer to be together, wouldn't you think it would be great if everyone can be happy afterwards and that the concept of a good divorce isn't such a rare occurrence or a rare concept that people think it's either strange or perplexing that you could say you've had a good divorce? And so I would really love that down the road that it's not such a rarity and that when I say we've had a good divorce, that people say, gosh, yeah, I know a lot of other couples that, are, that have done that as well. Well, it reflects well on both sides. It benefits the children. As I would say, at the end of the day, for me, it's, it benefits Grace looking back and yeah. saying, my parents did all they could. They did all they could, even though they raised me in two different households. You know, I had a great childhood. I had loving parents. We had great relationships with each other. You know, that's, I think, what matters, whether or not you're under the same roof, which unfortunately is not, you know, what happens in a divorce. Then it doesn't mean that life can't still be positive and good and happy and yeah. all those things. Well, wonderful. Sarah, it's been wonderful talking to you and learning more about your book, which is Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce. So I encourage listeners to go out and buy it. Thank you for your time. I learned a lot. Pleasure being with you. Thank you so much. Sassoon Simrod has attorneys who meet your dynamic needs, handling legal matters, including tax issues, real estate transactions, business law, and of course, divorce and post-divorce matters. I can be reached at the same number, 617-969-0069, but my email address has changed. It's now hgrossman at sassoonsimrod.com. Sassoon Simrod is spelled S-A-S-S-O-O-N-C-Y-M-R-O-T. Thanks for listening.